If you have a Bible here this evening, uh, turn with me to the Gospel of John, and let's go to chapter 13. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, we want to look at verses 1 through 17. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. As Jesus takes time now to wash the feet of his disciples, I want you to see before we get into the text, in all reality, somebody else should have taken the lead. It was customary for a servant uh, to greet you. It was customary for a servant to wash your feet. It was also customary for the servant uh, to anoint your head with oil. It's believed now in John chapter 13 and chapter 14. This takes place in the upper room. We believe that this is the time of the Last Supper. There are others that disagree. But we know that there's a time that Jesus spends with his disciples. We know that there's an agony in the garden. Uh, to pinpoint the exact times and places, uh, you're always going to run into dead ends or you're going to run into controversies. And I'm not worried about that. I want to share what the scriptures have to say. And so I want to look at three points here in these 17 verses. Number one, Jesus shows his humility as a true servant of the Lord. And why is he, has, why is he showing true humility? Because you have to remember again, he is the God-man. He is the incarnate God. And he takes this position of a servant when uh, one of the other disciples should have done this. But everybody sat down. They reclined back on the couches. That's the way they uh, participated in the, uh, the time of the New Testament. Their feet would have been sticking out in a sense. And Jesus takes off his outer garments, girds himself with, with a towel, and then he takes a, a basin of water and he washes their feet. And then we're going to come to Peter, and he says, Lord, you can't wash my feet. If I don't wash your feet, Peter, you have no part of me. And Peter turns it to the extreme. Give me a bath then. And, you know, you guys laughed a little bit early because I was going to say we laugh at Peter. But we all identify with Peter. When I see Peter making mistakes, I go, oh, Lord, that's me. When I see King David making mistakes, Lord, that's me. When I see King Saul making mistakes, that's me. You see, we're not exempt. And so Peter always has that sandal in his mouth, right? Uh, look at point two. Jesus exposes the true hearts of the disciples. Why do I say that? Because one of them should have taken the initiative to wash feet. It's customary. I want you to see if you're wearing flip-flops of any type or your open shoes. I mean, this is the way they traveled. And there was no paved roads. And the dust in your feet. And as you come into the house, they would sit you down and they would wash your feet. But that was the job, that was the ministry of the servant, the lowest person in the household. And the point three I want to make tonight, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet it shows our place in the church as a servant. And so in John chapter 13, 
verses 1 through 17. Verse 1 says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world uh, to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them, listen to this, to the end. How far did Jesus take his love for all mankind? But here are the disciples. He went all the way. He went all the way to the cross, and he knew that the cross was waiting for him. This is the whole purpose, the whole reason that Jesus was born. He was born to die. He was born to die on the cross at Calvary. This was his time. For the last three and a half years of public ministry, it wasn't his time. They tried. But now he's going to give up the ghost. He knows that the cross is before him. He loved his own uh, to the end. The word love is agape. He agapied, if I can use the term, his own uh, to the very end. Uh, agape love is always giving and never wanting anything in return. Jesus gave it all for his disciples. He gave it all for each and every one of us uh, here tonight. If you're taking notes, in John chapter 2, verse 4, uh, Jesus is at the marriage of Cana. And Jesus' mom comes to him and basically says, they have no wine. She wanted a miracle, a sign, a wonder. He'll take care of it. And a lot of people say that he was pretty rude to his mom, uh, but in a sense, he was putting her in her place. Woman is not the time. It wasn't the time there in John chapter 2, but now is the time. And I think moms like to show off their children, so maybe that was the intent, but the wine had run out, and Jesus went ahead and blessed the wine. Remember the water? And it was the best wine. And they said, why has it been kept till the end? Look at verse 2 now. And supper being ended, the, the, the devil, Satan, Lucifer himself, having already put it into the heart uh, of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Uh, scholars are telling us here that the Greek rendering, supper being in progress, the devil Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, already placed it in Judas's heart to betray Jesus, to give up Jesus. Did Judas have a choice? And we've argued this many times over. Uh, just like us, Judas is a free moral agent. He had choice and he chose to betray Jesus. We have the freedom as Judas Iscariot to say yes and to say no. Now, I want you to write this down. Lucifer himself had a choice. Back in Isaiah chapter 14, the five I wills of Lucifer. In Revelation chapter 12, the great battle between Michael the archangel and Lucifer. And we know that he was defeated. He was kicked out of heaven. And he took a third of the angels with him. Choice. Even today, we all have choice. As you come to the fork of the road, you have a choice to go right or to go left. You have a choice to make the stop sign. You have a choice to roll the stop sign. And trust me, we look around, if we don't see any, you know, black and whites, or in, in our town here, it's blue and whites, you, you kind of want to roll it. It's called a California roll. I learned it well years ago. 
But I want you to see this. Lucifer has put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot. He could have rejected that at any time, but he chose to do it. And 30 pieces of silver. And in the end, what does he do? He casts the 30 pieces of silver. But I want to ask that question we always ask. You know, we get down on Judas, but maybe he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of soul, silver, that is. But what have we sold him for when it comes in our life? Because we've all failed miserably, and that's where the grace of God comes in. Now, we're all free moral agents. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit, as we study the Word of God, as we read the Scripture, uh, the Holy Spirit gives us direction. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Now, the Holy Spirit had not fallen upon the early church yet. That doesn't happen until the book of Acts in chapter 2. And so Judas was not filled with the Spirit because he wasn't saved. Peter is not filled with the Spirit yet. None of these guys are. And maybe that's why they all sat and, and, and said, well, you know, maybe somebody else is going to wash feet. But Jesus takes it on. Notice verse 3, now Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God in a sense. This wasn't something that Jesus came to know just at this particular hour. Several years before uh, in his ministry, Jesus said, mark this down in John chapter 3, verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. But here Jesus, at this particular time, in this special circumstance, it was important that Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hand. Again, you have to understand he's in his humanity. Now the time had come. Jesus knew this day would come. And that he's going to return to the Father, to Abba. I want you to think of this. He's been waiting three and a half years. He's been waiting three and a half years for the cross. In his humanity, he's the God-man. He doesn't want to partake of the cross. Take this cup of death. That's what he, he prays three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. And since nobody, this is why I believe it happened during the time of the supper, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 4, since nobody had taken the initiative, Jesus rose from the supper, laid aside his garment, took a towel, and he girded himself. It's not a table as we understand. It's a couch. And basically the the commentaries tell you that it, they usually sat in a, if you want the impression of a, of a horseshoe effect. And then they would lean back on pillows or cushions. Kind of, you've all done it, and you're on one elbow and then your feet are sticking out. And so it's, it's perfect timing, and Jesus is going to come and wash their feet. He takes off his outer garments such as we would take off a coat, a jacket, a sweater, etc., because it was time to do some work. He takes a towel, an apron. It's the badge of a servant. It's what a, a servant would use to do his job. Jesus tightens this apron or, or this 
towel around him, and he's going to wash feet. Now, if you were here when we looked at what Mary did in John chapter 12, she did not use water. But she took this spikenard, this costly oil, and she washed his feet. And she didn't use a towel. She used her hair. But she was preparing the body for such a time as this, the cross. In verse 5, after that, he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. I want you to see the lead that Jesus is doing here. Jesus doing the task of a servant. When you first entered the house in the time of the Middle East, a servant's duty. This was performed, listen to this, by the lowest servant in the household. The servant. Nobody did this but the lowest servant. I want you to think of the open sandals again. You, you walked in every dirty place possible, dusty roads and such. Gail Irwin always makes a point to mention this when he teaches John chapter 13. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples that would have been urine-splattered feet because people went to the bathroom everywhere. And yet here's the Savior of the world. Here's Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. I mean, in a sense, you cannot blame Peter when he says, no, not me. But Peter wasn't seen what the task was. Look at verse 6. And when he came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? I could just see Peter with a demanding voice, a commanding voice. And, and again, church, you have to love Peter. He's always questioning things. He's always sticking uh, that famous 12-foot sandal in his mouth. And yes, we laugh, but I find myself here. You find yourself here. Saul disobeyed the Lord. David tried to cover his sin. You know, we're all guilty at one time or another of something. And so these are... Good examples for us. Don't do what they do. And yet we fall trapped. And yet I see God's grace, God's mercy. Besides this, didn't he deny the Lord three times? And when the rooster crows, that will be the third time, Peter. One of the gospels, I think it's Matthew. After the rooster crowed, Peter went and cursed. He cursed because the Lord told him exactly what he was going to do. But then the other scenario, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Three times, he tells them. I believe that was God telling him, I have forgiven you, Peter. Look at verse 7. Jesus answered and he said to him, What I am doing, Peter, you do not understand now, but you will after this. In other words, Peter and the other disciples are going to learn to serve. Our greatest teacher is example. Don't tell me what to do. Show me by your actions. And that's including myself. By your servant's heart, we lead by example. 
Pastor Chuck was the greatest example to the Calvary Chapel pastors. That man knew only one thing, and that was to serve. It was always kind of a, a chuckling effect when you would go to conference and uh, you would see guys that, because the, the conference was open to any pastor. So we would have pastors that would come from denominational structured churches and mainstream churches. And, and so they would come to see, let's see what Calvary Chapel's about. Why are they so successful? And, and then they would come in, they're looking for Chuck, they can't find him. Because Chuck doesn't wear a suit and a tie to a conference. He always wears a Hawaiian shirt. And I told Mary, I, I went to conferences for I don't know how many years, and there's Pastor Chuck. And guys, you're, you're good at this because your wife wants you to wear a new shirt. Your wife buys you a new shirt, and you wear the same old one. That was Chuck. He wore those Hawaiian shirts when they were, they were there was no more color left. But they were comfortable for him. And then when you would come in early, you would find Pastor Chuck vacuuming. You would find him empty and trash. I, I mean, he was a great example. And so this is Jesus being an example to these guys. They weren't learning it here. They wanted to be served, but they would. Now, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and it will happen in Acts chapter 2, Peter was never the same. When the Holy Spirit falls upon you, you're never the same. You want to do for God, not because of your, that's going to save you, but because you are saved. You want to do. Look at verse 8. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Radical statement here. They did not have tables, as we understand, in our household, uh, but rather laid back on pillows, cushions, leaning back, feet exposed forward. One commentary said they usually laid them in generally an elongated U-type uh, shape. With this in mind, I want you to, uh, they suggest that Peter was at the end. And when they finally reached Peter, uh, Jesus did, Peter said, Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. Was Peter boasting? That's a good question. Was Peter showing off? Was Peter watching the other disciples having their feet washed? And when it came to Peter, his turn, he said, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus. But Jesus quickly responds to him, Peter, if I do not wash your feet, you will have no part with me. One of my commentaries said this. The lesson being taught here is this. We must all be washed of our sins by Jesus' blood, obviously. If not, we have no part with him or his kingdom. We must be born again. A beautiful picture here. And that's exactly what's going to happen uh, to uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus wanted to go to heaven. Nicodemus wanted to know what it takes to get into the kingdom of God. Jesus rebuked him, remember? Slightly, uh, you're a ruler of the Jews, you should know this. 
You must be born again. John chapter 3, verse 3. John chapter 3, verse 7. Never forget that. What a picture. But again, let's not blame Peter. It's not until after the book of Acts, Peter's a different man. In fact, they said, aren't these Galileans? And look at this preaching. 3,000 souls come to the Lord. Look at verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <coughs> Excuse me. Here it is, the size 12 sandal again at work. Peter takes it to the other extreme. Okay, Jesus, not just my feet, but give me a bath. Notice Peter says, not just my feet. Wash my hands, wash my feet, my head, the whole thing. This is where our patience comes in. Wait on the Lord. Peter wasn't waiting on the Lord. I speak from experience, and I think you guys can identify. We're just not patient people. We want it now. Again, you go down Al Paseo, you're going to get a hamburger, and I don't care if that's your favorite spot. If there's a line, you'll go to the other one. I hate that. We'll go around Walmart how many times because there's no parking up in front. It's just our nature. The doctor tells us, Bob, park far away so you can walk, get some exercise. Okay, doc. Then I get there. I'm still looking for that spot, you know, <laughs> waiting for that Volkswagen to pull out, right? What a picture that Peter was having to learn. Later it comes. How many of us have read something, studied something, heard the message, or listened to the radio, watched something on TV, and it didn't hit then? But later on, you go, wow. Sometimes I'm listening to Pastor Chuck's message, and, you know, it sounds so fresh. I'm listening to the, uh, you know, MP3, and it's coming clear. And then all of a sudden, he mentions Jimmy Carter. I go, who? <laughs> but yet, look how many years, and yet the message is still as powerful. God has a timing that you and I don't. He has a patience that you and I just don't. And so Peter goes to the other extreme. Uh, look at verse 10 now. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Jesus responds to Peter. He who has already bathed been saved, born again, washed through the blood uh, of Christ, you're cleansed. You're a cleansed vessel. Vessel. You're a vessel of honor now. Then all you need daily is that washing process. Now, all these things they wouldn't understand until after the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. We've had people here at the ministry that through the years... They need to be born again almost every Sunday. And somebody says, you know, Pastor Bob, they raised their hand last week. They raised their hand the week before. I say, I understand that. Uh, maybe one of these days it's going to hit. Same thing with water baptism. I've baptized some of these guys multiple times. And they say, don't get mad at me, but I want to be water baptized again. I go, let's do it. Maybe this time it'll hit. 
Maybe this time I'll keep you down a little bit longer. <laughs> but we don't need to be born again every Sunday. Once you're born again of the Holy Spirit, you walk with Christ. And, and then there's that process of washing. There's that process of confessing your sins and saying, Lord, forgive me. Now, I want you to turn to a passage. You should all know it. Uh, go with me to 1 John, the epistle, towards the end. The epistle of 1 John, chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. And John teaches on living in the light. And I love that beautiful verse in verse 9, and we're going to get to it right now. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful, and he's just to forgive us. Excuse me. So he begins here in verse 7, but... 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, but if we are living in the light as God is the light, then we have fellowship, communion, koinonia, with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John is speaking to the church as the Holy Spirit gives him direction. The only one that can convict me of my sins, even before I come to saving grace, is the Holy Spirit. And then after I come to saving grace, only the Holy Spirit can convict me and to confess my sin. And notice in verse 8, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. We are all sinners saved by grace. The word grace, never forget it, unmerited favor, we deserve judgment, but God gives us his grace and I thank him for it every day. Because I know I deserve judgment. Look at verse 9. But if we confess our sins to him. He's talking about believers now. If we confess our sins to him. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all wickedness. This is on a daily basis. I don't need to hear your sins. And you don't need to hear my sins. But you go to the Father. In Jesus name. And you confess your sins. And, and generally, when you commit that sin, whatever it might be, if you've been in Christ long enough and you've been walking and the Holy Spirit is convicting, he will tell you immediately. And so take care of business at that point. Look at verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Are there people out there that say, I'm not a sinner. I'm just, I'm not that bad. Well, and Christians can fall trapped to that too. Uh, we can pray. We can read. We can fellowship. We can give our tithes and our offerings. We can give of our time and serve. And yet I can still sin and so can you. That's, how, that's why we have uh, a lawyer for our defense. It's Christ. That's why he's the mercy seat. He's the one that goes between us. She's covered. He's covered under the blood of the lamb. Because the enemy tries to rip you off. Trust me. Now, one commentary said this. Listen to it. Jesus does not wash our feet literally. He did here, but not us, literally, as he did to his disciples. But he did humbly die on the cross to cleanse us, to wash us. And we have to receive that. This foot washing is a powerful lesson in humility. But it is more than that. 
one of my commentaries said. The deeper meaning here is that Jesus has no fellowship with those who have not been cleansed by him. Again, we go back to that topic. You must be born again. People don't, there's people that don't like the word born again. Well, you need to be a changed man or a changed woman. There needs to be regeneration. There needs to be change. There needs to be transformation. There needs to be metamorphosis. And again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if a man, if a woman is in Christ Jesus, he or she is a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. Now let's go back to our text. And so look at verse 11, John chapter 13. For he knew, this is Christ, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. Back to John chapter 13, uh, verse 10. There at the bottom, Jesus said, not all of you are clean. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, Messiah, knew that Judas Iscariot would betray him. Back in John chapter 12, as we were studying that, uh, Judas, who would betray him, said, why is this oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. He did not care for the poor because he was a thief, the Bible says. And he had the money bag. And he would pilfer. He would take from it. But we know the story. I mean, think about it. Mary took this alabaster box and she broke it. One pound of spikenard. That's a lot. And she bathed his feet. And the aroma filled the house. Judas looked at that and he said, we could have sold it. It was worth a year's wages. And again, that, that baffles the mind. And so again, we can, you know, pick on Judas Iscariot. And he did follow through with what he was supposed to do. But again, he had a choice. He didn't have to do it. Now, let's continue here. Excuse me. This cold... These allergies are killing me. And only when I get up here, down there, I'm okay. Verse 12, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, and this is very important because we read scripture, and so many times we just let it go over, do you know what I have done to you? Bob, do you know what you just taught? Bob, do you know what you just read? Bob, do you know what you just shared in counseling? Do you take heed to yourself? How many times I've, I've teased and I said, the scripture's jumping on. I said, oh, I can't wait to share that one with my wife. And the Lord says, no, that's yours. We're good at it, guys, I know. And so Jesus here in verse 12 so beautifully taught them a lesson, listen, of humility. We, yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but then God calls us to be a servant, but we have a choice to serve. The disciples would not understand this until after the book of Acts chapter 2. A, a lot of things just not, did not come together. The puzzle was not complete yet, and, and that's for us sometimes. Lord, what are you doing? I don't understand what you're doing. 
And then maybe a month from now, maybe a week from now, maybe a year from now, you'll get the picture. Look at verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Jesus exhorts them with love. You call me teacher, the word is master, rabbi. Then the word, not only do you call me rabbi, not only are you calling me master and teacher, but Lord. One who rules, so they acknowledge that. Title given to God as being the ultimate ruler of all things. It was given to Jesus many times in the New Testament. Why? Because of John chapter 1. Jesus is the incarnate God. Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is God in the flesh. And they couldn't hang. You see, I went to the market yesterday, and I was in the parking lot, and these two Jehovah's Witnesses, ladies, they were hitting up people as they were coming out. And I saw JR. I go, don't get over there. They're going to nab you. Stay away from them. Throw something out. No. <laughs> but they can't get past John chapter 1. They say, Jesus is a God. They changed that. <coughs> In the Greek translations, scholars that are not even Christian and study and understand Greek, you cannot do that to the parchments. Jesus is God. And when you try to change that, you're going to get yourself in trouble. And so he was teaching here, and he was showing them. Look at verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I like that. The washing of feet in Jesus' time was considered, as we shared earlier, the lowest of the lowest jobs done by the bond servant, the bond slave by choice in the house. And so you know the story. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 15, uh, if you were, a, bond, you were a, a slave and you were committed to seven years, if your master treated you well, you had a choice to leave or you had a choice to stay. If you stayed in Deuteronomy 15, they took your earlobe and they put it on the doorpost and they would drive a nail through it. It was called an owl, and then they would place a signet ring. And it showed that you were a servant of, you know, Master Levi or whoever it might be. Now, you and I are servants of the Lord. It's by choice. Nobody forces us to serve. When you serve, you serve as unto the Lord. Again, these disciples didn't understand all of it. It wasn't going to come together until after the book of Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 15 now. For I have given you an example. Underline that because there are going to be those that are going to try to incorporate foot washing services. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Foot washing services. I haven't watched any of the clips lately. Uh, sometimes you'll see it. Uh, we're having foot washing service for celebration of, you know, Holy Week, come to the church, 7 o'clock. Uh, make sure you clean your feet before you come. Uh, we don't want no dirt. <laughs> I shouldn't be making mockery. But this was an example. 
trust me, doing a message like this, it would be very easy after the service and, and to get uh, the leadership up here and then have you guys come up and then let the, the leadership wash your feet. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, do this as an example. In other words, we need to serve one another. We need to serve the Lord, number one, and then we serve one another. And I take my hat off uh, to you guys here at Calvary Chapel because all I've ever seen you do is serve. And that's the beauty of being taught the word of God. You're going to serve, not by force, but by choice, by choice. In verse 16, most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Jesus came to serve, nothing else. And by serving, uh, he was bringing salvation. The obvious meaning, a servant is not ranked above his master as the employee does not give orders uh, to the employer, employer, the employee to the employer. Disciples need to know this. Jesus, listen to this, went to the cross for me. He went to the cross for you. And the Father sent him to the cross. That's what John 3.16 is all about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that's why Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sees the cup, the cup of death. He sees the pain, the agony. Isaiah 53, 39 stripes. He was unrecognizable. I share this every year. Uh, there's a guy that does a sculpture, and you'll see him on the Christian stations, and it's made out of clay, and he does a rendition of the, the bust of Jesus, and he puts a crown of thorns, and, and he's giving us the picture of uh, the Jesus you see in canvas and such like that. And that's a pretty good-sized bust, and, it, and you're looking at it, and then he throws paint on it, and he starts to punch it. He starts to disfigure it. And I always remember the nose just went over to the side. Uh, one of the eyes closed. He does a graphic, graphic picture. That's what Jesus went through. That's what Jesus went through. And so he did that for me. He did that for you. I've often shared, would I give up one of my children? Would you give up? one of your children and and basically the answer is no but the father gave up his son to give us life life eternal look at verse 17 we want to conclude here excuse me if you know these things jesus said blessed are you if you do them if you know these things blessed are you if you do them being a servant isn't worth very much. But the practice of being a servant, listen to this, pleases God. And it fulfills our call. We used to sing an old chorus song back in our Calvary Chapel, West Covina days. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be a servant of all. It was a little tune that just would catch you. And you just wanted to serve. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be a servant of all. This is true humility. 
And I'm going to end with this statement. Charles Spurgeon, every time I teach on this subject of washing feet, I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says, if there is a position in the church where the worker, the worker will have to toil hard and get no thanks for it, take it and be pleased with it. If you can perform a service which few will ever seek to do themselves or appreciate when performed by others, yet occupy it with holy delight, Spurgeon says. Covet humbly uh, the work, and when you get it, be content to continue in it. There is no great rush after the lowest places you will rob no one by seeking them. Heavy, heavy indictment. Because let's face it, well, I don't want to do that. Clean the bathrooms? Come on. I thought you wanted me to teach a Bible study. Nobody likes to do the menial task. I learned a lesson years ago by Pastor Xavier Reese. He was working at, at a pump factory in Southern California, and he needed a job. He was doing ministry, but they weren't getting paid. And so he shared with us that this pump company would always have to hire people. There was a great turnover because you would go into these great vats, and they were filthy. And usually the guys lasted a couple of hours, maybe a half a day, maybe the whole day, but they didn't come back because it was really a dirty task and when it was shown to Xavier he said Lord you want me to take this job yes the Lord showed him cassettes were popular at that time take your lunchbox put your cassette player in there and put them on that's all he did he listened to Pastor Chuck's teaching and eight hours would go just like that and sooner or later you know he was able to get out of those vats and do something else. I, I think every company <coughs> has a, a, a dirty job that nobody else would do. And usually, you'll see the Christian over there, the true Christian that does it as unto the Lord. Oh, I'm, I'm not supposed to do that, you know. I'm supposed to do this. When we work, when we do anything, we do it as what? Unto the Lord. And again, there's no exhortation here tonight because uh, all I ever see you guys do is serve, and that's beautiful. Bottom line here is we conclude, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Do not uh, do it for man or for man to see you. Or as I don't care who we are, we, we like pats on the back. Uh, let them come from the Lord not from man. In Psalm 139, doesn't the, the psalmist say that God sees everything? God sees everything. So whatever I do for the Lord, God sees it. Whatever you do for the Lord, God sees it. Well, Lord, I'm cleaning the bathrooms again and nobody sees me. Is that why you do it? Lord, I'm washing feet again, Lord. Nobody sees me. Is that why you do it? I mean, the lessons here are tremendous. And it's not about 
foot washing services, but it's about serving the Lord. Again, this is all in preparation for Sunday morning. And I hope you all come back on Friday. Uh, we always generally have a good turnout uh, for our Good Friday service, 7 o'clock this time. And what we're going to do is have the nails on the cross at the conclusion. And then as you come up, you're going to come to the front. And we're going to partake of communion also. I think it's a perfect time. And then on Sunday morning, we will celebrate of the risen Christ. So let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for uh, your word that will not come back void. Your word that ministers and speaks to our hearts, Lord. Lord, uh, I thank you for the body of Christ here at Calvary Chapel. I thank you for the servants that you've lifted up through the years, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that nobody is ever looking for recognition, but yet there's those people that do, and there's those times that it happens. And we shouldn't be looking around and seeing who sees me doing this, but just to do it as unto the Lord. Washing somebody's feet was the task, a menial task of the lowest one in the household. And it wasn't an easy task. And yet I'm reminded when we studied Mary, uh, she bathed Jesus' feet with spikenard. Lord, teach us to learn the lessons of Christ's example and his final and complete example that he went to the cross to give us life, life eternal. And again, Lord, we pray for the needs of the body of Christ and those that are suffering, those that are going through turmoil, those that are in the hospitals. Uh, Lord, you know who they are. You know the hurts and the pains, Lord. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.